Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. Everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. I've been looking forward to today's episode since I first talked with 
my guest, which was probably three or four weeks ago now. And it might seem like an odd conversation to have on this show, but today I really want to sh- talk about showing up showing up for ourselves and showing up for other people. And let me just kind of give you a little bit of backstory. So somebody reached out to me that helps with some of my podcast bookings and on other shows and whatnot and said, would you ever be comfortable talking about grief on a podcast? And this was maybe a month or two after Dagny had died. And I was like, yes, without a doubt, Yes, because I don't think people talk about it enough. So I was connected with my guest today and I just felt instant chemistry with her and just this kindred spirit level connection. Lisa is joining us today. Lisa is a podcaster. She is a grief expert. She is an empathy expert. She's also a clinical social worker. She's a therapist. She has been through this. And uh, I, I was on her show. Uh, we recorded a couple of weeks ago. And afterwards, I said, I'd really like to have you on mine because so much of the work that she does is related to showing up. And I see this as a pain point for so many people who feel like either their relationships are not what they want them to be, or their, you know, their friendships don't have the strength and integrity that they would like. And, and also it's just been a real topic of conversation around here in terms of showing up through COVID, showing up when people are experiencing loss. And even though we're not going to talk, you know, a whole lot about the, the grief side of things today, loss is more common right now than, than I've ever seen it in people who have lost their sense of freedom, who have lost their sense of safety, who have lost their jobs, and of course, people who have, have lost loved ones. So I'm so excited to just talk about showing up. But before we do that, I just want to give the warmest and most open-hearted welcome to my new friend, Lisa Kefauver. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. Wow, what a warm and beautiful uh, welcome and introduction. And I felt exactly the same way um, the moment we met. It's funny sometimes how when you meet with people who I think have um, opened their heart to the world, even and especially in the face of pain, they're my people and you're my people. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Because I, I think I've said this to you like 20 times since we met. The work you do is so important and I'm so glad that you're doing it. I hate that you've walked through loss to get to where you are. I, don't, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but let's get everybody on the same page about the work that you do and your podcast and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to have a title grief and empathy expert or advocate or whatever you want to say. It's definitely not a title when you're a little girl thinking like, Ooh, I want to grow up and, you know, be an expert in this, but there I am. So really what I do, I'm the founder of a company called Reimagining Grief and through my work there and through my podcast, Grief is a sneaky B. I'll just put it that way to keep it PG. <laughs> um, um, I'm really trying to change the narratives of grief. I am trying to, through my writing, through my empathy cards, through my one-on-one grief sessions, through my work with companies, I'm trying to do exactly what you said in the show opening, which is to open the conversation about this thing that 100% of us will experience, but nobody wants to talk about. And the not talking about it honestly and openly is causing all of us so much unnecessary harm, including and especially the topic we're going to talk about today, which is it gets in the way of us being able to show up for ourselves and show up for one another. So my work involves, as I said, writing, kind of one-on-one support, workshops and seminars, companies, interviewing folks, um, and the line of empathy cards, which I think is particularly poignant for today, which is a way people can show up, especially and even in the times when we can't physically show up um, here in this pandemic. And just briefly, I came to this work, um, like most people come to the work, really like your story too, I think, is is a blend of my personal and professional experiences. Some early violence and pain in my young life led me to train um, and become a practicing social worker and therapist. I saw so much grief and loss 
and struggle um, in all the settings that I worked in, foster care and adoption, in um, mental health services, family services, public housing. And then it happened to me. I lost my husband, Eric. Um, I was just 40, our daughter was seven. Um, and my world turned upside down and I recognized even in the helping profession, we weren't doing a good job of talking about it. And just a few years later, I was by the side of my friend Joe and he passed as well. And that was probably really the turning point when I looked up and realized people didn't know how to show up. And um, I wanted to be a part of changing that. So I'm really grateful to be able to do this work for a living. You you hit the nail on the head when you said it's it's about showing up. And my sense is that grief aside, right now we're generally speaking not great at showing up for other people and showing up for ourselves. Like I think that because so much of life now happens online, that there's a lot in terms of real connecting with people that we've moved away from. And I was having a conversation with somebody about what Chris and I have experienced since we lost Dagny and uh, going through that in the middle of COVID. And, and somebody asked, you know, like, well, what could people do that is helpful? And my answer was just so crystal clear, show up and keep showing up, show up and keep showing up. And I think one of the reasons I was so excited to have this conversation with you is I think that's the answer to a lot of things, you know? yes. <laughs> a lot yes. of relationship stuff, a lot of healing stuff, a lot of family stuff, a lot of marriage stuff, show up and keep showing up. So I want to start kind of generally, what do you think that we can learn from the work that you do with grief that we can apply to every relationship? Yeah. Wow. There's so much wisdom in that um, expression that you just shared, both in terms of the sort of culture of not showing up and um, how it really impacts our relationships beyond grief. I do want to say or just name that I think what we're all experiencing right now and what we experienced even before the time of COVID that people struggle with in terms of emotional health and relationships as is actually related to unacknowledged losses in different ways, losses of the potential for love, for connection, for normalcy, for routine. So I think I still believe that sort of undergirds kind of some of the struggle and pain that we all experience. But regarding how, why showing up really impacts relationships, it's so funny you said that. I have an expression I do in my workshops when I do one-on-ones, and the expression is, if you want to know nothing else about grief support, and I think this would be, if you want to know nothing else about relationships, to your point, mm -hmm. is show up, shut up, and listen parentheses um, and keep showing up. That's yeah. literally like the slide that was like the key slide for my grief support. So when you said that, I just chuckled over here because I think that's really the key. Um, and I think one of the reasons that we see relationship struggle in our life, not just um, how relationships shift, you know, as a result of loss is that we don't just generally speaking, we're not comfortable with discomfort, with tension, with anger, with pain, mm -hmm. our own or other people's. And so what happens is if we don't know what it feels like to show up for ourselves, mm -hmm. we sort of attend and bear witness to our own pain, to our own anger, to our own, you know, longing, whatever the emotions are, then when we see that in somebody else, we don't know how to show up for them. And right. We have a very expert culture. We got to figure things out and get it right. And so I think what often what happens is people let fear of doing something wrong or getting it wrong get in the way. So they just don't bother showing up mm -hmm. or they show up and don't follow my second rule, which is shut up. Exactly. Yep. You know, they, they show up in this fix it mentality, or if you're talking about relationships, sometimes we show up in a blaming mentality or make it all about me mentality. or make it all about me. Right. Or yeah, I, I, in grief, I call that being a grief thief. When you show up and you're trying oh. to bear witness to somebody's story and then you immediately launch into like, well, that's exactly like my story and blah, blah, blah. Yes. And now you've shifted the entire conversation about you. I am Not so glad that you just <laughs> gave me that phrase, grief, grief thief. Because yeah. Because there are, there are hot buttons for everybody in grief, but one of the ones that has stood out to me the most, uh, and, I, and I see this not just in grief, 
I see this every day in almost every conversation that I have is wanting to be relevant to the conversation. And there are a couple of people that I, that I interact with almost every day and I have yet to, well, rarely have a conversation that is just about my experience without them sharing yeah. how they understand because of their experience or how they can relate because of their experience or what they were, went to that was so similar. And I see this even outside of grief when you have a conversation with a friend that immediately gets shifted to, to you. And yeah. we, we go in this ping pong that we're competing to be heard and understood. And we're so focused on wanting to get our own needs met that yeah. we're not meeting the needs of other people. And so I, it's so funny that you have that show up, shut up and listen. I think it's so brilliant. Yeah. I, uh, people have always asked like if my mom could give advice based on some challenges that we went through when I was a kid. Like she always says that it would just be like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Chapter 12 is shut up. The title <laughs> shut up. You know, page 425 says shut up. Um, and I, I think that is so true. Even when I think about my, my own husband and my relationship with him, what a difference it would make if I followed your three rules, show up, shut up, and listen so much more than like wanting to lead the conversation or get my point in understood or wanting to have it be more interesting to me or to, you know anything like that i it's easy to see these things in grief because they're more emotionally jagged like it's a lot more emotionally jagged when somebody who has also experienced a loss goes from me sharing what i'm experiencing to them telling me about their loss it's more poignant, I guess, like it, it stands out more, but these are things that we're screwing up in relationships and keeping people at arm's length every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me just first throw myself under the bus to say, I don't always follow my own wisdom here. Show up, shut up and listen. So yep. for the people who are listening, who know me, they're like, mm, Lisa, I'm going to call you on that. <laughs> this, is, this is a, you know, this is what I strive for. This is yeah. my reminder for myself. Yeah. And I think I want to also clarify for folks that what we have in common, finding our shared humanity is how we connect in life. That is how we find belonging. And when you think about so many of the people out there who bring so much wisdom to this work from Brene Browns to John Powell of the Othering and Belonging Institute at Berkeley is belonging is sort of our in our core. It's in our it's sort of wired in our DNA and what we want to do. And so when you think about being in relationship with somebody and hearing a story that resonates with your own experience, of course, there's nothing wrong with our impulse to want to connect at that level where we feel we yep. have a shared experience. That's not the problem. The problem is when we're not first holding space for yeah. somebody's story, particularly if somebody's trying to express, express something that's around pain mm -hmm. and we're not, and we're trying to, as you said, get our own needs met in our sharing as opposed to be meeting the needs of the person who we're sharing it with. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I think, I think we have to attend to ourselves. We have to meet our own needs. That's where I keep coming back to that. Um, we have to sort of, I always say with grief work, you have to do your own grief work before you can show up and really be in support to somebody else. And I would say the same thing about relationships in general. And, and we think about this cliche you've always heard, like you have to love yourself before you can love and be loved in a relationship. And I don't think it's a, it's, I don't think it's wrong. I think when we can show up for ourselves, attend to ourselves, love ourselves, offer ourselves that kind of loving kindness, then we've resolved all of those tendencies that we do when we get into relationships, which is to either blame or turn the focus or make it all about us. You mentioned the tendency, like when people don't know what to do. So they don't do anything at all. And a lot of that stems from not knowing how to show up for ourselves because then we're not comfortable. Since we're not comfortable with our own stuff, we're absolutely not comfortable with somebody else's stuff. And then we go to what we know, which is our experience, right? So exactly. I'm uncomfortable having a conversation with somebody who is in deep grief and it, it feels weird. And my default is my most practiced thing, which is me, my experience, yeah. whatever. Yes. And when we have a tendency to 
run away from or avoid our own strong emotions, whether we turn to food or we turn to alcohol or we turn to television or social media or spending money or whatever it is, we can't hold space for somebody else's depth of emotion. And that's what true connection with people really asks of us. So talk a little bit about what that looks like, doing the work to get comfortable with your own emotions, even if it's as benign as an overwhelming day at work yeah, or a yeah. really angry phone call with a family member. What, is, what does that look like in practice so that we're strong enough to be able to show up for other people? Yeah. I love that question. I think it's so important. And it's really at the heart of the work I've done, you know, again, as a practicing social worker beyond the scope of grief. And it's the work I do, by the way, everything I say to other people, I'm doing this work myself. I'm the guinea pig that I'm testing all of this out on. You know, I think the work that we do to getting comfortable with our own emotions, and, and I'm thinking of the entire spectrum of emotions. We tend to, in this country, think only about like happy, sad, and anger, but there's so much more. Our feelings are so much more complex than that. Um, and I think the first thing we have to do is sh is become aware of our assumptions around our feelings, especially mm -hmm. the hard ones, which is that if we let them in, they're going to unpack their bags and stay forever like that unwanted family relative visitor, you know, who says they're just coming for three days and they somehow become your house guest permanently. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to shift that because when we worry that we're going to let in pain, we're going to let in sorrow, we're going to let in anger, resentment, whatever. We um, assume that if we let it in, it's going to stay. And that keeps us so fearful, to your point, then we avoid it altogether. But the problem is, when you don't attend to your feelings, they don't magically disappear. So yeah. they end up in your body. They end up in behaviors like you were talking about, overspending, overeating, overdrinking, overdrugging, self-harm, etc. And then they loom larger, and they don't allow space for the other emotions to come, like joy and delight and amazement and connection. So I'd invite people to think, this way about your emotions and doing the work of getting comfortable with your feelings. Consider them visitors over for a cup of coffee. So as you are feeling a flood of emotions or something is bubbling up, instead of shutting that front door, this is sort of the visual I'm going to take you on because you see them walking up your front step and you're like, oh, heck no, I'm not, I don't have time for that. I don't want them to move in. Instead of shutting that door on them, think about inviting your feelings in for a cup of coffee mm. because our feelings have information. They are basically stories we put on top of our sort of fundamental emotions. And so those stories are information. There's something we need to learn. It's about maybe um, a respect that we didn't get out of some exchange with somebody. It might be about a longing for something that isn't there in the relationship that we have. It might just be deep sorrow over the loss of what we once had. Whatever it is, if we can treat our emotions like visitors over for a cup of coffee, feel them, don't judge them, or necessarily believe in them 100%. We just need to listen to them. And, and really, as a metaphor, the practice of listening to our own emotions is going to make us better able to show up and listen to other people's stories of pain or joy or delight or whatever that is. Because emotions come and go. The truth is, um, they all come and go, the good ones and the bad ones. Unfortunately, it'd be great if we could just like lock in love, joy, amazement, and excitement right. and kick to the curb, you know, anger and rage. But if we can treat our emotions like visitors over for a cup of coffee, then once we do that, they come, they go, we learn, then we actually have the sense memory experience in our body that, oh, okay, I felt a flood of emotions. It was really uncomfortable. I really didn't like it. But today, you know what? I actually feel okay today. There's more space today. And when they left, they left more space for other things. I'm actually having that very lived experience today after okay. boohooing and crying all day yesterday. I feel a lot of space and peace today because I allowed those emotions in. You know, when you're describing that, it makes me think of kind of a revelation that I had a few years ago around hunger. Mm. Because for most of my life, I sort of panicked when I started to get hungry, like it needed to be dealt with, you know, like I needed to yes. do something or something bad was going to happen. Like, oh no, I'm hungry. And what if I'm in a meeting and I can't get, and I just had more 
fear in my mind around this sensation that was totally harmless and, and really not even all that uncomfortable. And it was everything happening in my mind in response to that sensation that was really the problem. The sensation itself wasn't the problem at all. It was all of this noise that I had built up in my mind about it. And I eventually realized hunger's not an emergency. No. It's not painful. I'm not going to die. Like nothing, nothing terrible is going to happen here. I will eventually get out of this meeting and be able to go get some food. And it's, it's really no big thing. Yeah. And that's very much what I've had to do with emotion in grief, but, but even in, in life is yeah. not let the resistance to the emotion create a whole other problem if we can just sink into it and understand that it's, that it's going to go. And even though it can feel in the moment like that feeling's never going to leave, and I've certainly had moments of grief where I felt like I would never be okay again. But then I remember I once did a seven-day water fast. This was probably a few years ago now. I did a seven-day water only, black coffee and water only. And I would time my really intense hunger pangs, like, oh my gosh, I'm super, super, super hungry. Like what I would used to call starving. And I would start the timer and it never, ever, ever once lasted more than three minutes. Yeah. Not ever. And I kept that in mind as I've been grieving in those awful moments that are like burned into my memory where I was screaming and sobbing yeah. or just feeling unable to get off the floor, I would remember that this feeling, this intensity, this moment of emotional peak can probably be measured in minutes, yeah. you know, and yeah. that gives a lot of, a lot of comfort. And I think if we look at whether it's overwhelm or it's frustration or it's sadness or it's loss of control, like this is not here forever. This is just it's temporary. A yeah. yeah, it's a temporary visitor. You know, I went down a rabbit hole the other day about the sort of difference differences between emotions and feelings and moods. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, you know, because I think we use those interchangeably. And something you just said really resonated to me. One of the articles I read said basically our sort of core eight emotions. Emotions are a neurobiologically wired thing. You know, it's a, it's a response in our body for survival, you know, kind of related to fight or flight or thrive. And it said something like, we only have emo emotions only last six seconds. So everything after that six seconds are feelings and feelings are really, I, this is the sort of metaphor I used is this. So emotions are raw data and feelings are the stories we add to the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and that's not dissing feelings. Feelings are valid too, but you have to, if you can kind of allow them to come in and go, think of them as visitors coming over for a cup of coffee, telling you stories, mm -hmm. then it can feel, then you can remember that it isn't some inherent truth that's going to lodge itself and be there forever. It's information. It's going to come and go. And as you said, every time you can watch that experience and like sort of watching yourself from above and you sort of come down from your emotional state, come down from the storying that you're telling about your emotional state, it gives you, and you can really do some mindful reflection on it, it kind of gives you a confidence that, you know what, I can get through anything. I can survive anything. Yeah. What did I learn from that thing? And that allows us to sort of move on. Yeah. Yeah. When you um, shared uh, show up, shut up and listen, I was thinking about one of the things I've been working on with myself and with my clients is removing me from the center of the story. Yeah. And I wanted to, to circle back to that. I did an episode on it not long ago and it really resonated with a lot of people. And I think whether we're talking about grief or loss or showing up for somebody else or showing up for, for ourselves, I think that notion of not having me at the center of the story can make all of our relationships better. So if you have somebody in your life who's, who's having a tough time, and you are too, right? Because you've, yeah. you've got your own losses that you've experienced. What does it look like to show up for them 
in a way that doesn't have you and your loss at the center of the story, because we all want to take care of ourselves, right? And we all want to have boundaries and that sort of thing. But can you tell me a little bit about what it looks like for you to, to show up for another person, friend or family in a way that, that you know you are, you're doing your best? Yeah, that's such an important question. And as you said, especially when you think about the context of the times that we're having this conversation and so many people are struggling. Yeah. And I think the first um, thing that we need to do in order to show up for somebody else who's struggling, even if we're also struggling, is set the intention of the showing up. Mm. Because otherwise we show up in very patterned, you know, sort of patterned behaviors that we don't think about. And that means we're probably going to show up and put ourselves at the center. Mm -hmm. So I would say almost, and I say this too about grief support, but I would say this in general is before you show up for somebody, pause, just sort of do a body scan, do a check of your own body and your own intentions. Like I'm going to reach out to this person and I know they're struggling. I am too, but I really want to, I really want to hear them. I really want to be there for them. And just do that mental shift for yourself. I think starting with that intention yeah. helps will help you sort of not fall into old patterns. Yeah. I think that's the first step. And it's really important because we aren't used to showing up sometimes in that way, or in certain relationships, we're not used to showing up that way. I think the other thing that we do or what it looks like is we have to drop this assumption that we have that um, other people's problems need fixing mm. and that we're the ones who can fix them. Yeah. You know, I always say grief doesn't need fixing, it needs feeling. Yeah. And I would say for the most part, when we want to show up for our friends or when we think about what is the best support we ever got when we were struggling, sometimes people gave us nuggets of wisdom or a, you know, a solution. But most of the time when someone showed up for us and it felt really good, it felt, we felt seen, we felt heard, we felt connected to, it had nothing to do with them giving advice or fixing us or telling us how we could be handling our problem better. In fact, the more people do that, the less helpful it is, generally speaking, I think. So I think we have to focus on our intention and show up without fixing. Sorry, were you going to say something? No, I, I totally agree about the fixing piece and also the intention. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it is absolutely critical to check your own self as you go into it and know I'm there to be supportive to this person. I'm not there to make it about me and my experiences. I'm, I'm truly, truly there for them. And, and I've heard it said before that like our favorite thing to hear is our own name. And, and it's no, of course, you know, we, we love to be relevant and we love to talk about ourselves, but for the sake of relationships, I think we can all grow so much from truly being more invested in someone else's experience. Absolutely. And, you know, and just to, as a practical tip, just something you said really just resonated for me, which is, yes, we all love to hear our own name and our own wisdom. But even as a practical tip, when I've shown up for people, this has happened very recently, who've had losses or other struggles, job losses, relationships ending, et cetera, pet losses. I feel like in my world, there's been a lot of pet losses lately saying their name, like you can't show up and fix it. You can't make it better. But to say, oh, Elizabeth, I just want you to know, Elizabeth, that I'm really thinking about you and I'm, I'm sending you so much love and understanding, you know, and just saying their name, you don't have to have a solution. You don't have to have a fix, but reminding them that you, their, your name is held in their heart, is in their mind. That is a, it seems maybe trivial, but I think it's, hugely important. It's a point of connection that we don't have often. I don't know. That that just really sort of showed up showed up for me. Yeah. Yeah. And and not fixing. I really just do think um if we can let go of ours need to try to fix people and to feel seen. And the truth is there's sort of a third benefit if we want to be selfish about showing up for other people, which is when we show up for other people and hold space for them, we we gain a new insight on our own emotions about whatever is going on in our own life. We're able, when we're able to demonstrate empathy for another, we're reminding, we're reminded about how we show empathy and can show empathy and loving kindness for ourselves. Yes. Sometimes it gives us perspective. There's a lot of sort of benefits just at, a, at the selfish level 
for us genuinely showing up and bearing witness to somebody else. Um, not to mention the impact it has on the relationship. I've, I've become closer and feel more connected to people I've met more recently, cue Elizabeth Benton, mm-hmm. um, than I do some people I've known a long time when I have the kinds of relationships where I feel they showed up and listened and didn't judge and didn't try to fix and I can do the same. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that I have noticed um, as we've gotten back into podcast recording since Dagny died that that has raised all of my my concerns and, and alarms about what people are seeing and what conclusions people are drawing from what is shared online. So just to kind of give you the the context here, and then I would really love to know some some tools or some strategies in relationship for this. So uh, I had pre-recorded about three months of episodes before Dagny was born. And so for a while after she died, we weren't recording uh, in real time. And now we are. And it's funny, my husband, Chris, and I started doing our Saturday Q&A shows together. I used to do them by myself and with other people on the team. And um, my husband's like, is a jokester. He's, you know, not a serious guy. He's, he's got a million quips a minute. Like he, you know, love it. Love it. So, and I do too, right? So we, we recorded a couple of episodes and I cannot tell you, I have probably gotten 300 or 400 messages from people to say, it's so great to hear you happy again. Mm. I'm so glad you guys are like turning this corner and you're able to see light and brightness. And, and my first instinct, I'll be honest, my first instinct was F you, yeah. you're clueless. Because like, I mean, just being very yeah. honest, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Please do. Clearly are out of, you know, that you can assume because my husband makes me laugh when we're working, right? Like when I show up on a podcast, I am like, I'm on. This is my job. Um, But like, I felt defensive of my grief because what they don't see is the other 23 plus hours of the day where it's a freaking struggle. And once that initial kind of like, don't ever say that to me again, kind of defense mechanism wore off. Where I went to was, this is why so many people are unhappy because they're so sure because of one giggle or because of a picture that people are good. And it's also why we're not worried about people in our lives that maybe we should be worried about or we're not helping or supporting people in our lives that we should be helping and supporting because we take a snippet that is what is selected to be shared publicly. And we take that to mean everything. And, yeah. I, and I, I see this when there was a couple of months ago, there was this um, couple that podcast together and they're, you know, got a big, big, huge following and um, they've written books and this, that, and the other thing. And they announced their separation, even though their podcast was about marriage and everyone was shocked. And I'm like, you fools. Like with love, right? You fools. You don't think that when they do their 30 or 40 or 50 minutes a week that they're not putting their best foot forward? Of course they are. For you to think that that is reflective of their life, it makes me concerned because I think that's one of the reasons that my family hasn't shown up for me is because they see how I show up for work and they're like, Elizabeth's just doing just fine. And I can... I can address that with them, but for everybody out there who thinks somebody's okay because of what they posted, or they think that their marriage is happy because of what they see online, or they think that their friends are in a great place because of a 20-minute clip of laughter, yeah. that concerns me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this I am so excited that you brought up this topic. Is that weird that I'm excited about it? But no, I really was too. So I, I was, important. No, yeah, it's I so was important. glad that it came up the way that it did, even though honestly, it it triggered yeah. some defensiveness in me, yeah. and it still does when I hear those kinds of messages. Like you clearly you don't know. Yeah. Um, but I was excited about it because I see this as something that's really getting in people's heads and giving them the wrong impression of other people. And then they compare to themselves and they're off base or just the, the not showing up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much to unpack there. Absolutely. I think maybe the first place to start, first of all, I just want to like acknowledge, I get the defensiveness and the in 
impulse to be F you because yeah. I definitely have done that both to other people who made those assumptions about my quote unquote happiness, but also to myself. Yeah. The first, I can vividly remember the first time I laughed out loud after my husband died. And I immediately then launched into like, well, screw you. You must yeah. not really miss your husband. You know, whatever. So I totally get that. But I think what you're, there's a couple of points that you're talking about that I think are really fundamental that we need to shine a light on. And one of them is that we can only exist in one emotional state or another. We have this false binary that if you're grieving, you're sad all the time. And if you're happy, you're happy all the time. And that you can't have laughter and tears and sadness and joy and anger and melancholy. You can have all of these things. And so because we buy into this bull that you can only be in one state or the other, then we try to neatly wrap up in a bow. Oh, well, I saw Elizabeth laughing or I heard Elizabeth laughing. So, you know, check the box. She's done grieving. Yeah. And that's a really dangerous place, not just for interfering with how we show up for other people or not, or on the reverse, they started crying again. Then people go, oh my gosh, you've stepped, you know, you've slid backwards or you're not where I thought you would be. Yeah. So it not only interferes with our ability or our instinct to show up for other people, we do it to ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. So when we have a day of laughter and then the next day is tears or an hour and an hour or et cetera, et cetera, then we end up, I call it shooting all over ourselves. I did use S-H-O-U-L-D. I didn't mm -hmm. swear. Should we should all over ourselves that, that we can only have one emotion and that that emotion is a sign of some kind of linear progression. Or yeah, success, or right? and I'm so I'm so glad you said that because I think that it happens a lot of times in our own thoughts with our own relationship oh, yeah. with us when it's like we have an hour where we feel like we were a train wreck, therefore we must be a train wreck, right? Like we have an hour where we are emotional and broken down and oh my gosh, we've just totally fallen apart. I thought I was doing better and now here I am and I'm a mess. And we do that to ourselves and we do it to other people. It's like let yeah. it be a moment. I was talking to one of my therapists and um, she was talking about, gosh, I don't even remember the word that she used, but she said that the, the root of the word comes from having many folds. And she said, mm -hmm. when we look at something, we want to see it as one way. But the reality is it has many, many folds. Absolutely. And when you're looking at one piece of it head on, you just see this, this simple thing. It looks just like this. But when you look at it from the side, you might see 47 folds and 16 colors and all of this different stuff. And I just thought that was... Yeah. That's so exactly it. All of us. That's exactly it. When you think about the our, our emotional light, we like to see everything very flat, very neat, yep. very one-sided. Mm -hmm. And when we do that to ourselves, what you were just talking about is then we shift the story. Yeah. So when we were falling apart, quote unquote, yeah. and I'm going to say quote unquote, but when we were sad or angry or felt like a mess, mm -hmm. that was a story there. And we somehow say that we can't have a complex story. So then we erase it's like we take out the red pen and we erase all the other emotions we had, all the other successes and feelings we have. And we're yeah. just take that big red edit pen to our lives. And we need to allow space for the complexity of our lived experiences, of our emotions, of our relationships, and just follow them sort of without judgment and without, in a, without being in a hurry to sort of create this neat little story and just allow allow a little messiness, which is hard for all of us, frankly. We like, I mean, we live, literally live in a culture of listicles, top 10 lists, five ways to, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And not that there aren't, you know, I kind of give those things heck a lot, but it's not that they're problematic in and of themselves, but I think we make the mistake that we can wrap everything up into yeah. those kind of neat little packages. And the truth is we miss the nuance and the beauty Yeah. Uh, both in relationships, both in moments with ourselves, uh, when we try to sort of flatten it all out. So I think that's really important that we hold space for all of them. And I think part of the other pressure besides the sort of listicle culture that we live in is we live in a happiness obsessed culture. And yeah. because, as you said, for social media, all we see is moments in time of people, we then reinforce this way of thinking that happiness is the only emotion worth ha having. And if you're not happy all the time, you're doing something wrong. Right. And 
and to return back to what we said before, no emotion stays. Right. And in fact, the more we can feel all of the emotions, the more we can have real happiness and yeah. real moments of joy. You know, I don't, weirdly, this is really weird to say, especially we're coming up on the nine year anniversary of losing my husband. And today, actually um, 18 years ago today, um, my husband and I got married. Yeah. And in some ways, the emotional work I've done grieving Eric and then my friend Joe and just the work that I do at reimagining grief, which meant holding space for a lot of pain and facing some trauma that I went through and really, you know, holding space for a lot of quote unquote, uglier heart emotions means I'm actually able to access more moments of real joy and real delight, real amazement now in my life than I did even before his death. Yeah. Um, and that might seem counterintuitive to people because people have seen me cry and fall down and, you know, all the things that I've done. I try to be really transparent um, in my own work so that people can see that it's not all um, sunshine and roses. In fact, last night on my Instagram story, I posted a picture of me ugly crying because I wanted people to see the truth of that. And today I'm a living example that emotions pass and I feel a kind of calm and peace and joy that I didn't feel even before allowing those emotions in. Yeah, I've had a therapist say that when your heart breaks open, it actually ends up giving you more space to take things in. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and it is both wretchedly painful and life altering and life giving. Yeah, it absolutely is. Again, as you started the show, I wouldn't wish it on anybody and in some ways, I do think the people that I know who have gone through hardships, real losses, real pain, and not just gone through it, because by the way, I, I would argue that having gone through something hard doesn't necessarily make you, you know, resilient or, or able to access joy and delight. It's going through something hard and then doing the emotional work to process that. Yeah. Um, those are the people who I think have a different perspective, who have a more open-hearted approach to relationships, to life, to themselves. Yeah. You know, and that is, um, I think that's really remarkable. And it takes work. You know, it doesn't, you don't just wake up one morning and, I mean, if you think about this as a, you know, as it relates to weight loss or getting out of debt or any of the other things that I know you work with folks about is as we have to bust this myth that it happens overnight, but it can happen if we really turn and face into what got us to this point. Yeah. One of the challenges that I give myself is for every hard lesson that I learn in grief, like yeah. how critical it was to have people show up and how painful it was for all the people who didn't. Yes. I ask yes. myself, what can I do with that? You know, and it reminds me to show up for people differently. And, you know, we had, we had a, a death in our friend circle after we lost Agni and then our neighbor lost a parent and it's happening all around us. And, and even outside of that, right, I'm thinking about how can I show up for my husband just, just as a wife, not even in, in grief? How can I show up? for my friends since I have learned that that is really so important. And same thing with, with shut up for every single time that somebody makes it about them and their experience. I use that as a reminder to say, I don't need to make Chris leaving his dishes in the sink about me. Right? right. I don't need to use somebody else talking about how they're training for a marathon to, to all be like, oh my gosh, I ran a marathon. You know, it, yeah. it is. Or beat yourself up for not also training for a marathon at this right. moment. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. I have to remind myself, I get to remind myself of all the ways that I can use these lessons in my life now, as painful as they've been. And I think it just comes back so beautifully to show up, shut up and listen, show up yeah. for yourself, show up for other people, yeah. shut up when you're dealing with other people. And sometimes shut up when you're dealing with yourself. A hundred percent. I think all of the stories in our, I'm always asking people, what are the stories that are playing in your head? So yeah. this show up, shut up and listen and keep showing up is exactly advice for how you show up for other people and exactly advice for yourself. How do you shut up the stories in your head? How do yeah. you just listen with non-judgment yeah. to the stories in your head? Yeah. 
And then how do you keep showing up? So doing emotional work isn't a one and done. Right. Right. Too bad. Sorry. I wish we could. <laughs> I wish I had the secret. Boy, would I be wealthy if I did? But right. it isn't. You know, we have to keep showing up. And yeah, as you said, that applies to us. And the more we do it with ourselves, the better able we're do it able to do with others, and then vice versa. The more practice we get on yeah. showing up for other people, the more we're reminded of the beauty and the power of that. And then the more we're invited to again circle back and do that for ourselves. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Lisa, this is, this is so good. And not only you dive into all of this in your podcast, grief is a sneaky bitch. Uh, you've got a hysterical line of empathy cards. Like if people feel like you go into CVS and you just find everything just so trite and cliche, like you've got to check out Lisa's <laughs> line of empathy cards. It is amazing. Tell folks where they can connect with you and the important, critical, powerful work that you are doing. Oh, well, thank you for those kind words. Yeah. So if you head to reimagininggrief.com, you can find information about the one-on-one -on -one grief session work I do, the work I do with companies, definitely my line of empathy cards that I created after I received, you know, so many horrible empathy cards from other people. Mm -hmm. um, you can find out about my podcast, Grief is a Sneaky Bitch, although it's, uh, you can find it available on every of your favorite podcasting platforms. And then follow me on social media at Reimagining Grief on your favorite platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, yada, yada, yada. And I do write um, daily invitations is what I call them. And they're just sort of reminders, messages, suggestions, invitations on that work that where you and I were really talking about today. How can you show up, shut up, and listen to the stories in your head? How can you change the narrative so that you're on a healing journey, not a journey of harming yourself or others. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much. I, I am excited for our friendship, for us getting connected, even through our own unimaginable losses. Um, yeah. And I'm just so grateful that you're willing to share how your work applies inside of grief and outside of grief. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the important work that you're doing and for this friendship and this conversation. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.